0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran Emporia, Kansas-based jazz drummer Jack Mouse. He began playing at an early age, at four, and by his late teens, he was already performing with musical greats like Tex Beneke, Ralph Flanagan, Ray McKinley, Les Elgard, and the great Red Norvo, along with others. Over his storied career, he's intersected with many legends. He has great stories, many albums, revelations, wisdom, and more. Enjoy the world of Jack.
1: Hi, Jack. How are you? I'm awake. (laughs) There you go. I like it. It's Great to meet you, man. Thanks for taking a minute out. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, before we get into your life as as a musician and everything that goes into who you are, I want to know how you survived the last three years with COVID. How did you get through that time period, which was quite tumultuous, and how has it changed the way that you do things now? Actually...
2: Uh, Janice and I my wife is Janice Borders the jazz vocalist and um, uh we actually got through the pandemic uh pretty well uh we were at that time living in uh in Naperville Illinois which is a Chicago suburb and um uh, we actually had a recording studio in the basement there and uh so we got got a lot done. Naturally we couldn't go out and tour. We couldn't go out and play. But we got a lot of practicing done. Um we finished my I've got a new method book coming out. We finished that. Um and we lined up uh uh another recording session for when the pandemic was over. We actually got through the pandemic uh pretty much unscathed. Um it was a big house. It was a five bedroom house. And uh so we didn't we didn't ever feel like we had cabin fever. Um so yeah, we uh got through it I think better than better than a lot of
1: folks. So let's go back a little bit in your life and tell me how this jazz journey began for you. Talk to me a little bit about where you're born and raised and how these seeds were planted in you.
2: Well, I was I was born and raised in in Emporia, Kansas. Um which uh as of September 1st Janice and I have moved back here but I was uh, was born and raised in Poria, Kansas and uh my my teacher I started playing when I was 4 and my teacher was the great drummer uh Roy Burns who uh um, just passed uh uh passed on a few years ago he uh, uh retired from playing uh he was the founder of the finger control method of playing he was one of the very first drum clinicians uh and he uh uh ended up founding the Aquarian Drumhead Company and uh so Roy kind of looked after me from the time I was four years old until he passed um but I studied with him he was 11 years older than I was um and studied with him and uh, uh went to the College of Emporia, which was uh at that time it was a private school and it had an incredible music department. In fact it hosted the first collegiate jazz festival um in Kansas and uh uh they would bring guest artists in and they brought uh Buddy Morrow in one year and buddy ended up hiring me before I got out of college um and they brought doc Severson in where I met Clark Terry, who I ended up working for uh uh for for a long time uh, and I stayed there until nineteen sixty nine the the vietnam was was uh in in progress at that time, and I needed to Get into the to the service, so I ended up uh going to auditioning at the Air Force Academy in Colorado springs and spent uh four years as a uh, as a drum set soloist with the falcon airs there which and it was a great band uh those um the, the military bands during Vietnam were incredible uh, uh, so the the band was wonderful in fact Frank Mantuz and I were roommates for four years on the road. The band was on the road many months out of the year. I did a lot of recording uh did uh some uh film soundtracks, things like that um, and when I got out uh, of the service um i um actually went to l a for a very short time
0: uh and I
2: had worked for peanuts hucko um uh, actually before I, I got out of college and uh, Peanuts uh, at that time in 1967-68 owned a club in Denver called the Navarra Club. Um it was a jazz club right across the street from the Brown Palace Hotel and uh, came through Denver with Buddy's band and Buddy took me in to, to meet Peanuts and Red Norvo was the vibist, and uh, uh was an amazing club. Uh, uh, quintet there. Uh Maury Feld was the drummer, and uh, uh, but he asked Peanuts if I could sit in, and I sat in. And a few months later, uh Maury Feld needed to take some time off, so Peanuts called me, and I drove out to Denver, and, and that happened two or three times actually. And uh, so when I got to LA, uh, Peanuts and uh, he was married to Louise Tobin, who just passed away. Uh she was Harry James' first wife uh and was a great singer. Um and she just passed away a few months ago at the age of hundred and four. It's just incredible. And um uh, um so um uh he, had me, he was at that time he had taken Pete Fountain's place on the uh, uh on the Lawrence Welk show. And he was wanting to leave and uh he ended up taking uh over the uh the Glenn Miller band for a while. And um so I left LA and went out on tour with, with several bands uh uh and uh, uh Stan Kenton being one of them and uh um and Penis finally called me and, and hired me to come on the Miller band for a while. I stayed there in, until he left and then a little while, uh, actually Buddy Morrow took Peanut's place on the, on the leader of the Miller Band. Uh, so I stayed on for a while with, with Buddy. And, um then ended up, uh, going through a divorce and, um uh, I had, uh, I got, I'd gotten a call from Ken Morris who was running, Ken inherited the, uh, the San Kenton Clinics. And I was, in high school, I was a a Kenton Clinic camper, me and the Wrecker brothers and uh, Keith Jarrett and and Gary Burton, all those guys, we were all campers together. And uh, I got a call from from Ken Morris, uh, wanting to know if I would want to come on the camp staff uh, and and do the summer camps, and uh, all my heroes were there, uh, Jack Peterson and John Laporta and all these incredible players. People, uh, uh, and so I just jumped at the chance. And John introduced me to Jack Riley. Um, uh, Jack was there uh, playing piano, uh, taking care of one of the piano chairs at the camp. Introduced me to Jack, and uh, we did some playing together. And uh, he had just broken up his trio with Jack Fix and Joe Cacuzzo. And was wanting to put together another trio, so he put together a, a, a trio with uh, uh, Richie Ambler on bass and myself, and uh, we toured all over the world with that trio. And uh, Jack finally broke up that trio. He got a, a full time job at the Manus Conservatory in Brooklyn. And uh, I ended up moving to Chicago, and um, I had a lot of contacts there through the camps Roger Pemberton, uh, all the guys. And, Steve Rodby, uh, and ended up moving in Chicago, and uh, just stayed there in Chicago from about 1977 until September 1st of this year, and Janice and I had uh, had come into Emporia and played the Granada Theater with our band uh, several times, and we had friends and relatives here, and figured, you know, we can just about run our business from anywhere so uh, we decided a couple years ago to to if the opportunity came up we would we would we would move back here and some friends of our called us in May and say the house that you should have is on the market now it's on a lake, and uh we put in a bid, got the house, and uh moved here September first, so here we are. <laughs> So, probably, talk to that's me probably more than you wanted to know.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, you're good. No, that's good. That gives me a good backdrop. And I'm curious. You played around a lot of big players over your career. What did oh, you yeah. learn from the legends and luminaries that you would impart onto the young players that you got around?
2: Well, you know, there were. I, I, I think, I think the arts and jazz is very much like a family. Uh, otherwise, I have musical mothers and musical fathers and musical brothers and sisters. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I find it disturbing that I now have some some musical grandchildren. Uh, and so there were there were people who I worked with who had a, a great deal of influence. Uh, I played on Bunky Green's quartet for about four or five years out of Chicago, and uh, uh, in fact. Uh, with Bunky's Quartet. We started the Montreux Jazz Clinics in Montreux, Switzerland in 1984. And Bunky was like a musical father to me. He, he, these are people who take you under their wing. They they don't just, they, they, they sort of adopt you. And you become a part of their bloodline, uh, their musical bloodline. And they entrust you with that bloodline and they expect you to to protect the nobility of that of that bloodline by handling yourself correctly uh, uh, b- behaving as a as a responsible artist, John Laporta, another musical father of mine uh uh Jack Peterson, the great jazz guitarist, another musical father uh, Clark was clark I, I i I had a lot of respect for and and, and loved playing with him um it was a little bit different relationship, but was more of a, uh, of a, uh, uh, he, he, uh, wow, well, I guess Clark would be like an uncle, <laughs> you know? Um, uh, so, uh, those are people that, that Roy Burns, naturally Roy Burns taught me how to be in this business. All these guys taught me how to be in this business and opened doors for me and, um, uh, and actually, uh, Bunky and John Laporta both played with Charles Mingus. And so I think I have Mingus in my bloodline. He's like the grandfather I never met. But I absorbed Mingus's music through, through, uh, uh, Bunky and, and through John Laporta. Um, so, you know, these are guys that, uh, they all encouraged me to to play to, to to let me play they they encouraged me or let me play the way I wanted to play and uh didn't really dictate to me how to play um but uh encouraged me to interpret the music the way I actually felt it
1: does that does that help at all? Yeah, that does, absolutely, yeah, and, and and I want to kind of train back a little bit and ask you, what was the first live jazz show that you ever saw that made you think that's what you would want to do with your life, or that really blew you away?
2: Well, you know, uh, like I say, I started playing when I was four, and at the time, uh, Roy Burns was playing in the Emporia Municipal Band. He was in a... High school. And, uh, he's the first live drummer I heard, uh, ever. And, uh, was so enthralled with Roy's playing. And you have to understand, I was four years old, so I don't really remember. I, don't, I have no memories of when I wasn't playing. Uh, but I think the first, the first jazz groups that I heard was. Uh, a band that, that Roy was playing in. It was a local uh, territory band here. It was a band called The Counts, which had a lot of, of World War II veteran uh, musicians in it, Ed Wertman. Marion Plummer was a trombonist. Marion was uh Doc Cleverson's roommate on the Randy Brooks Band. And when Roy left, I took his place on The Counts. But I think The Counts, it was a big band uh and played all over the Midwest. Uh and um so uh I think probably that was the first jazz group I heard live. Uh, uh the first uh named jazz group I I heard, wow, that might have been Louis Armstrong. Um Wow. And uh uh in fact my parents took me to, to see him. He played here at the at the Civic Auditorium and it was Louis Armstrong on trumpet, Edmund Hall on clarinet, Trummy Young on trombone, Billy Kyle on piano, Mort Herbert on bass, and Velma Middleton was was a singer. And uh, uh, the drummer was Danny Barcelona. And uh, I was so excited. Uh, my and my Louis and the band were were going to to autograph programs. In fact, he'll still have my autograph program uh, backstage after the concert. So my father took me back to to get my program signed. And I was super excited. And when we we waited in line and got up to to Louis Armstrong and I said, Oh, Mr. Armstrong, I've never heard anything like that in my life. And I just kept, and my father had to tap me on the shoulder to shut me up and, Lewis said to me, he says, what is your name, young man? And I says, uh, Jackie Mouse. He says, do you play an instrument, Jackie Mouse? And I said, uh, yes, sir, uh, I, I play the drums. And he looked at my father, and he says, you need to keep an eye on this one. He's got that look in his eye. And I can't tell you how I, I survived on Lewis Armstrong saying I had that look in my eye for years and it also it also emphasized the point that what you say and how you treat younger musicians is really important you can destroy them or you can give them hope and uh uh but that was a very uh that was a monumental t- point in my life uh, of of Louis Armstrong uh saying
1: that to me um uh, was really a great moment so, you know, you've been at this for a long, long time as a musician. What's been your key to longevity?
2: When I moved to Chicago, uh I was actually passing through Chicago on my way to New York. And I called Steve Rodby, who, this was before he was with Pat Metheny. I called Steve Rodby. He was living in Evanston, uh, uh, and um, he was doing a lot of studio work. And I called Steve and I said, Steve, um, in the meantime, I'm sorry, I'm going to need to back up. Roger Pemberton had called me and said, I hear you're moving to New York. And I said, yeah, Roger, I am. He says, are you going to come through Chicago? And I said, yeah, I can. He said, good, because if you come through Chicago, I've got three or four nights worth of work for you if you'd like to do it. So I called Steve and I said, Steve, can I hang out at your place in Evanston for a few days? And Steve said, sure. So I, I worked with Roger's big band and met Warren Kive and Ross Trout and all these guys. And Warren said, you know, if you want to stick around, I've got a week's worth of work here. And at that time, Chicago was booming. It was nothing to work a, a, a triple on a Saturday. It was just, there was so much work. And people... I, People kept hiring me to stay a few more days. And finally, Steve Rodby looked at me and says, you know, you either need to get your own place or go to New York. (laughs) And and I said, "Uh, point well taken. And and so I stayed in Chicago. And to be a successful Chicago musician, um, and I've heard a lot of musicians uh, define Chicago musicians this way. They say a Chicago musician is someone who can play anything, anytime, anywhere with anybody. So I think the versatility, uh, that I had to put together, uh, uh, had a lot to do with it. I, I, I worked with Latin bands. I, I, I worked with Bunkies band. I worked with Rogers big band, uh, uh, did a lot of studio work. Uh, uh, did a lot of the show, the show groups, the showrooms were all open. Um, uh, uh, in Chicago, I, I, worked with BB B. King at the Blue Max. Uh, so, I, I think it's just the ability to, to, to be able to play all kinds of styles. And also, I never lost track of the fact that I'm a rhythm section player. And our job, our primary job is to make whoever we're playing with sound better than they are. And so that was always my goal. And uh, I, I've been very fortunate too. That's, that's the other thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, as you look on your career and and all of the things that you've done, what are you the proudest of? Oh wow! Oh my gosh!
2: Um, wow, that's a tough one. Uh, uh, I recently, uh, or, or I, I met, I met. Janice in 1984 and uh, uh, I was also teaching, I taught part-time I taught at the American Conservatory and then I helped start the program at Illinois Benedictine College and then um, ended up running the Jazz Studies program at North Central College uh, as as a a half-timer, I I never taught full-time but uh at the time, when Janice and I met, she was one of the few improvising vocalists I heard that I thought was doing it right. And uh, in 19... When did we start the camp? Uh, 1989, uh, we started the very first vocal jazz camp in the world, and it was the Janice Borla Vocal Jazz Camp. And that camp ran for 25 years. Uh, and we brought in everybody. And I worked with the Jan- Dan Hurley trio for a long time. Bob Bowman, you know, Kansas City boy, uh, was the bass player, and, and Dan Hurley, and that was the rhythm section for the camp. And uh, so I, I feel really good about my participation with that with that, um with with that endeavor, uh, the fact that w- a lot of young vocalists and, and vocalists you hear about today, all came, a lot of them came through that camp, and uh, so I think the the fact that that we touched a lot of lives. Uh, in fact, um, when the uh, PBS had a show called the the Lear Report, was their news report, and
0: we got a call.
2: We were, I think, what, our 15th anniversary. We got a call from PBS, and they wanted to come in and spend the week uh, putting together a a feature program on the camp for the for the PBS uh, Jim Lear News Hour. And um, we were just uh, bowled over by the fact they would... And Spencer Michaels came onto campus. I couldn't believe that Spencer Michaels was running this uh the, the, this this production and uh, then they aired it on uh, on Thanksgiving of that year. So I I think my involvement with with that uh would rank pretty high uh, as as what I'm
1: really proud of. So everyone out there Jack has a perception of you, your family, your friends, your fans, but ultimately you live your life. You have a perception of yourself. Who do you think you are?
2: I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, um, Janice and I uh, uh, felt like we needed to pull away from the from the business of music for a while and sort of reinvent ourselves. We felt like we it, it, we were getting stale, maybe. So uh, right now we're looking at at different projects. And trying to decide what direction we want to go, uh, uh, we're, uh, Fareed Hawk, We has worked with us for many years and we're talking with Fareed about possibly putting together a, uh, a, a, ta- a jazz tango project, uh, uh, featuring the music of, of Astor Piazzolla, uh, which was the great Argentinian tango, uh, person. <laughs> and we also, uh, have a, um, uh, a a a work it's called, it's actually written by Howard Brubeck in the sixties, Howard Brubeck, Dave Brubeck's brother wrote a um, thing, a thing called dialogue for jazz group and, and symphony orchestra. And, and the Brubeck group and the New York Philharmonic underneath, under the direction of Leonard Bernstein recorded it. And we've been going out not very often, but playing that, that, work with symphony orchestras. So we're we're thinking about trying to to do a little more booking uh with that and taking the band in. Uh, the band is incredible. Uh, uh um Farid Hawk is is our guitarist, you know, Fareed was with staying for a while and uh Larry Gray is our bassist. Uh Larry uh was with Ramsey Lewis for years. Um Scott Robinson is just incredible. Uh he's the uh He's a multi-instrumentalist, uh, plays with Maria Schneider's orchestra. Um, when we use piano, uh, we like to use Pat Coyle, who actually he lives in Nashville. He's, he's actually Michael McDonald's music director, uh, but plays as a wonderful jazz pianist. Uh, and we use uh, Art Davis um, uh, on trumpet art, was with Ray Charles for a long time. So the band is incredible, uh, and we played together so long. Um, that uh it, it's pretty comfortable but we're we're sitting back trying to say, Well, what do we want to do now that we haven't had time to do in the past? let's take the time to sit down and figure out exactly what the heck we want to do. We just finished um we have a we have a a, a trio called three story sandbox, which uh is a free improvisation group, and we've done two albums um finally well, one Uh Scott and I did a free album called um Snakeheads of Ladybugs. And uh then we did uh, uh, brought Janice into the mix and she's an incredible free vocalist uh and did three story sandbox and that that album ended up being a downbeat editor's pick and in April uh we uh recorded three story sandbox uh, Recording with, um Mark Feldman, who, uh, people will know Mark because he was on, uh, most of John Abercrombie's last albums before John passed away. So we're in the process of getting that ready to release. Uh, as we, we, we feel like we need to explore the free music market a little better. So it's a matter of sitting down and saying, what do we want to do next?
1: Wonderful, Jack. If anyone wants to pick up your music, learn more about you, anything related to your world, is jackmouse.com dot com the right place to go?
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, in fact, we're we're in the process of adding a bunch of things to the uh, to the uh, website, but uh, that's the place to go. Or you can go to actually to to Janice's website, janiceborla.com, dot com, and uh, I'm on a lot of. Uh, I'm all over her website, too, so uh, that's that's really the place to go to uh, get a little more bio info, that kind of thing.
1: Wonderful. Hey, Jack, this has been great. I'm so glad that Kevin led us together. It's wonderful to tap into your wealth of jazz knowledge and wisdom. Thank you for taking time out today. I really appreciate oh, it. Absolutely. Good, uh, awfully good to meet you, Joan. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in Emporia, Kansas, Kansas City, Missouri, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Jack for his time, energy, and cool. You can find Neon Jazz archived interviews at Apple Podcasts or Spotify and subscribe to us on YouTube. For all things Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends.
2: Neon Jazz.